0: This week on Monero talk is sponsored by cake wallet store, send, receive and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. cake wallet is open source and you always control your own keys and by Stealth EX, an instant exchange where privacy is the top concern. Go to StealthEX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making Stealth EX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever. By typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet, send address field to send us a tip.
1: All right, Mitty, what's going on, man?
2: Uh, Good. Yeah, enjoying the conference, enjoying seeing people. It's good to see you guys. Uh, People since we haven't seen since Lisbon, so it's nice.
1: Yeah, and I think the last time I interviewed you was, I don't know, years ago, man. I think it was like DEFCON.
2: Yeah, I think DEFCON, 2019, maybe even 2018. Yeah, 2018 it must have been, the first time I talked. And that was a talk on regulation as well, right? No, that was a talk on some research I was doing at the time um, that sort of touched on the regulatory environment but it wasn't as, as, well, the regulatory environment wasn't as deeply formed. So we were just doing initial research, trying to talk to people in the community, trying to understand different perspectives of privacy and how that impacted like, their ideology and how they worked, how they worked on Monero, why they worked on Monero. Um,
1: and so how, how has your, your take on the regulatory scene with regards to Monero evolved since then?
2: It, yeah, it's been interesting what, to watch. Um, I think initially I had hope. Uh, There was a lot of really good data protection law, certainly in Europe, and I had hoped that they kind of acknowledged the importance of privacy-preserving aspects within blockchain. That, over the last few years, has sort of got lost, uh, and I've kind of watched it get lost, slowly but surely. Um, And then, I guess, there's just been some, some loud voices just pushing or steering the conversation a certain way, and yeah, like... Aspects such as public security, anti-money laundering, have just taken precedence over data protection for, for whatever reason. Um, and like I think I said in my talk that we we're kind of entering an adversarial environment and I think, that's, I think that's just the reality of the situation.
1: And practically, what, what does that really mean for, for the Monero community and what is that going to look like, an adversarial yeah. situation with the, with the regulators?
2: I mean, I, I I don't know, you can make it really dramatic and like be yeah. batten down yeah. the hatches. Yeah, let's go for the dramatic one. <laughs> yeah, batten down the hatches. I mean, like we've talked, I mean, the Monero Policy Working Group have talked a lot about like what what a lawsuit would look like, who the lawsuit would be against, what would be the what would be the goal of a lawsuit. Um, and that
1: would like likely be in reaction to some kind of Banning that would take place, or
2: yeah, not necessarily even just a, a prohibition or anything like that. It wouldn't necessarily have to be about hard law. It it would more be about about the implications of any soft law that is imposed or transposed into regulations and what the effect that would be on on uh, essentially you know crypto asset property uh, and also just like basic rights and freedoms, which have, you know are the kind of core fundamentals of certainly European uh, uh, legal and, and social norms. Um, but it's just difficult to see where that legal avenue is. Like, I'm not a lawyer, we've talked about it a lot, but it's it's not entirely clear what would be the best legal avenue. Um, but like, I mean, the Monero talk, community talked, has always talked about being ready for an adversarial environment. So I think somebody pointed out from the crowd, you know, that we need to just make the technology as, as hardened as possible, as resilient and as robust as possible, so that whatever pressure is applied, that it can deal with it. So. I think we, as a community, have been doing that over the last, whatever it is. Yeah, I think, I'd
1: argue better than most cryptos, right? Just because of our situation.
2: Yeah, I mean, potentially. I mean, there, I mean you can have that debate, like, are we secure enough? Like, do we have enough hash power like, to sustain an actual serious attack if it were to come? Like, probably not. Um, but there have been efforts to ensure that, you know, it is easier to run a node. It is easier to, to you know, give your, give your hash power to, to the network. Um, is there enough? Probably not. Can we do a better job? Probably. Um, but I think it, as the adversarial environment gets more hostile, you probably see a reaction, right? That's usually how it happens. Um,
1: yeah, it seems like there's just kind of two camps or maybe more than two, but there's th- real high-level overview. There, there's those that are like, you know, fuck the regulators, <laughs> let's just use Monero, build out our own ecosystem, live off Man- Monero together, opt out of the system. Uh, ignore the regulators, that's the whole point of crypto. And then there's those who are like, well, let's try to integrate with the current system and work with the regulators and and uh, maybe even politically, right? Get them to understand that technologies like Monero actually align with free and open yeah. societies. Yeah. So I guess where where do you stand on um, on those two camps? And yeah. as a whole, what, what would you advocate that the Monero community does as a whole? with regards to those two kind of approaches?
2: Yeah, so the, the two different paths, right? The, like, fuck the law path, which is probably the most fun, the most, you know, the most dramatic, the one that would write the movie scripts. Um, but realistically, like, I'm going to have to pay my electricity bill. I'm going to have to buy my food at a shop. I mean, okay, I could look maybe around my local community to see if there's someone that will sell me eggs or sell me, you know, chickens or sell me vegetables But for Monero, but it's more than likely I won't be able to, at least not in the short term. Um, so like I would prefer kind of working with politicians, uh, working with regulators, working with government. Um, but I think it's just really difficult because it's hard, to f- it's hard to figure out where your voice is listened to, like what avenue it's listened to, and then even if you do find a platform for your voice, whether or not they actually understand your concerns or whether they uh, align your concerns with their concerns, right? Which are public security, which are system integrity, um, you know that's their hierarchy compared to mine, right? Who
1: are some of the biggest potential public advocates for a technology like Monero in Europe? I know in the U.S., like I, I'm looking at people like uh, RFK Jr., right, who's who's running for president now. He hasn't said the word Monero, but. Everything I've heard him say, he could be potentially uh, a public advocate saying, "Yes, we need true digital cash uh, in the in the digital age, and the U.S. should be, you know, allowing it." Are there uh, any any strong uh, political groups in Europe or people that uh, would potentially align, if not already, are aligned with Monero?
2: I mean, to be honest, not that I know of. Like, there's a few European parties. Like, there's one called the Pirate Party, which have some really interesting kind of politics. I don't know much too much about them, but I think, like, I think the the strongest avenue for finding someone that would be on our side are like the data protection authorities, right? And you have them in each member state, and the data protection authorities uh, have a mandate to ensure you know your fundamental um, right to data protection is upheld within the jurisdiction you live in, right? So whether that's the member state level, whether it's at a European level. And I think if you, if you actually dive into a lot of the work that the European Data Protection Supervisor and the European Data Protection Board do, a lot of it really strongly aligns with the principles and ideologies that the Monero community holds. Like it's very privacy-centric, it's all privacy by design, it's privacy by default, it's data protection by design and default. Um, the, the difficulty is when they butt heads with essentially the anti-money laundering mm. uh, uh, ecosystem and sphere, uh, and then those tensions that exist there just have not been solved, right? And they, they will not be solved. Um, and I'll give you just a real fundamental example. The European Data Protection Board were due to publish their formal opinion on DLT technology. That was due to be published, uh, as far as I'm aware, at the end of last year, and has still not been published. And the reason it has not been published is because it would be, I would imagine, fairly damaging to the DLT ecosystem as a whole, because they would concretely say, uh, uh, and it would be a very concrete legal opinion on the unsuitability for most DLT systems with regards to data protection. And that would have huge ramifications for how DLT is embedded into digital sector that's what i think the holdup is i'm not sure if we'll ever see that opinion or how far how long it's going to take for them to find consensus on them publishing that opinion but that's just a concrete example of like the tensions that exist
1: who's the like the real driving force behind you know the anti-money laundering and you know uh the protecting us from the f- financing of, of terrorism right is it is it is it Governments looking out for people or is there, you know, is it corporations that are that are, or banks that are behind the, the regulators that are, are pushing them to make make stronger rules with the, with the sales pitch that we need this to to protect the people because money laundering is bad because obviously financing terrorism is bad. But is it really about those things or is it about using that as an excuse to uh, perhaps perpetuate some other goal that they may have?
2: I mean, I'm not 100% on the answer. Like, it's pretty obvious if you can if you can surveil transaction or financial flows, you have a lot of information or a lot of data that can lead to a lot of outcomes, positive or negative, depending on your perspective, right? So, if you're law enforcement and suddenly you have transaction graphs, financial flow graphs, network graphs, you can use that obviously for criminal investigations, and it'll make your life a lot easier to catch the criminals, right? Because you can see how they're financing. operations what they're spending the money on where they're spending the money where the money is going to what the relationships are etc and so on and there's no doubt that there's like over, you know not overall but there's definitely public benefit to that like you'll have potentially a safer environment it's just when there's sort of mass surveillance and this you know panopticon like system you just get these secondary implications or or secondary outcomes, which are like chilling effects, right? Because you know you're being watched, you know you may potentially be be being watched. Um, And then you have all these like other actors or or tangential actors, like the data analytics companies, they're like, oh, hey, you have all this data, can we get some of it uh, and we'll pay you for it? And then you get into like really murky waters uh, and really like dirty puddles about how data is being used, what it's being used for, whether or not the data that's being collected was used for the initial intents that it was collected for. Yeah, and then it just gets, uh, for me personally, uh, I, I don't like thinking about that too much. It, it gets a little bit, little bit darker. Mm-hmm. You know? It gets a little bit like a uh, black mirror, you probably know. You yeah, know, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You start getting into you know, those kind of scenarios or those kind of dystopian visions of the future. So. Yeah, scary stuff.
1: Um, so what is the current state of regulation with regards to privacy coins, Monero in Europe? I mean, you saw Binance delist Monero along with other quote unquote privacy coins, Zcash being one of them. And then I think they ended up relisting Zcash, but not relisting Monero. Um, but is it that the exchanges are, are just being overly protective and taking action um, and and you know, they're taking it upon themselves to delist things like Monero, or are they actually being forced to? What is actually the current state of regulation with regards to Monero?
2: I think, I think for crypto asset service providers or virtual asset service providers, or indeed any financial service providers, like they have a mandate and a compliance requirement to balance their risk profile. They, like, that's, that's explicit in the regulations that exist and the regulations that are being amended. They have an obligation to. So delisting privacy coins is an easy way to reduce your overall risk profile. That pressure is probably being applied by regulators. It's probably being applied by the fiat payment service providers to the exchanges. And for them, it's sort of an easy choice. If they're told, hey, we need you to reduce your risk profile because we don't want to get in trouble with our central bank, or we don't want to get into trouble with the European Central Bank, um, you know, you're know, you given an AB choice and you, you pick the B, which is delist the privacy coins. Some exchanges have obviously pushed back, and I think that's brilliant to see. Kraken is the, the obvious example. I'm hoping that that ideology can be sustained in at least the short and medium term. There's nothing on the regulatory horizon that seems to completely prohibit, prohibit the trading of, of, of uh, privacy coins. Um, but they've definitely increased the compliance requirements. So I'm hoping Kraken would be able to meet those compliance requirements, and then set an example for a host of other exchanges that if they have the risk appetite to list them, they will look at Kraken and say, well, if Kraken can do it, there's no reason why we, we can't do it. Whether or not that will happen, I don't know, because I don't know if listing privacy coins has a high enough benefit to cost ratio for the exchanges. Uh, 'Cause I don't see their numbers of what the kind of transaction volume is through their exchanges. Um, and if they don't have a strong enough ideology about, you know, protecting privacy rights and privacy freedoms, well they they're probably you know, would choose B, which is delist the coins. Right.
1: right. It's it's easier. So if if so they're like, not gonna yeah. be making much money doing it, then why why are they gonna do it?
2: Exactly. If it's like you know, ends up being half half a percent of their over revenue or probably even less, like why even bother take the risk? You know, it's just lucky that Kraken has a very strong cypherpunk ideology, at least from my perspective, that I can see from the outside, that it's just become a part of their reason detra for existing, or at least you know a core component um, of their reason detra, which is beautiful in a way, right? Because it's kind of like the real true kind of cyberpunk ideology, and they're willing to push back against whatever pressure is applied from whoever it is. That's oh yeah, about.
1: yeah, they've they've done an amazing job doing that. So, so how far do you see this potentially going? Is it, you know, because maybe that's not the worst case scenario, like we were saying at the outset. So you know, centralized exchanges don't want to deal with privacy coins, but maybe that's a good thing, right? Because now people aren't uh, obtaining Monero or using KYC, they're using other means. But do you think there's eventually then an, an attack on on, on on those means, right? So do they then eventually go after the users of cryptocurrency and or, or go after those that are holding their own crypto? Uh, do you think things go that far or they're just going to go it's just going to be that you won't be able to easily on ramp and off ramp via fiat but once you're in crypto they're not they're going to kind of like leave people alone with regards to privacy
2: yeah. no i mean i mean i don't know i don't i don't think they'll go that far like i mean f- from a european perspective on the whole they seem relatively rational and logical um, like, like does it
1: get to the point where Cake Wallet is is asked to implement KYC to so yeah, they know who they?
2: I could see that happening. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah, I could see that happening. But like, even it's, though
1: it's people holding their own keys on their own phone.
2: Well, I mean, they have certain services like swap services within within their wallet, so they would probably either have to implement KYC on no those services, which I think they probably do. Like, I've seen some swap services request KYC information. Um, or but
1: not, they, Cake not needing to know who everybody is that's that's using yeah, yeah, Cake and holding crypto, holding Monero.
2: I think it, it depends how like a wallet service provider or a wallet provider is is viewed from a compliance perspective. Like that's one of the really good things in Mika, which I didn't really mention in my talk, is that there is specific re- reference to decentralized systems and decentralized services. Um, that are exempted from the regulation. And that's really positive. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, it is really great. Like they could have easily left that text out and nobody probably would have batted an eyelid. But somebody somewhere ensured that that text remained and was written into the legislation. Now, how that materializes, you know, as other regulations are amended, I'm not so sure, but at least the precedent is set that there is a specific recital that makes reference to decentralized projects, decentralized services, and exempts them from MiCA, which is you know that's a, a positive step forward and maybe a starting point for more positive outcomes.
1: Are there any any members of of the of the EU that are perhaps more closely aligned with Monero than anybody that could potentially be more closely aligned than uh, than others?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think historically, I mean, not to generalize, historically, I think countries like Austria. Uh, S- S- Switzerland, Germany um, and even to a lesser extent Spain or at least some, some parts of the government in Spain have always been like pro-privacy France as well. Um, but like I don't think it, it's hard to generalize because it really depends on like what their national position is and with the European Commission how it works like you ha- need to have strong consensus on everything so everybody needs to agree before e- anything is passed and moves forward to the next stage. Um, you know of regulatory formation so you'll get a lot of compromise not necessarily just on one specific text but on a number of texts and you know if you help us with this piece of text we'll help you with another piece of text later down the road and a lot of favors are done so you know and there's benefits to that um, but it also means that a lot of member states have to make compromise on a lot of things for everyone to agree on on most things
1: right and what what could uh pe- members of, of the Monero community do to help, you know, uh grow you know, essentially grow adoption in the face of regulation. Obviously there's the, you know, go 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 opt out, build a Monero community outside, but uh, w- what can be done uh in terms of dealing with regulators? Is there anything that, that normal Joe Schmo Monero user can do to help uh politically uh push things forward to where we get to the point where you know, uh, Monero is treated like like a like a, a normal, accepted uh, technology?
2: I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, you can say, talk to politicians. I mean, it, does that really work? I'm not really sure. You know, how high is it on their list of priorities? I mean, there are ways to, like, give your opinion to the European Commission, but, like, I don't know if that really works either. Like, that might just be a form of signaling. Um, I think the best way is just, like, keep keep trying to use Monero like keep trying to get people to accept like but that's probably one of the hardest things to do because uh you know if you offer someone payment in cryptocurrency and they don't really know cryptocurrency they just say no right it's a lot easier for them to say no I want euros or I want you know check kronas or whatever it is um so I don't really have the answer um but I think as long as you start trying to build the ecosystem and build the network out it gets stronger that way. Like the more people are involved, uh, you know, the stronger as a community it gets. Uh, but it's not easy.
1: Uh, All right, man. So, so crypto anarchy is is the is the way.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I'm right with you on that. <laughs> okay, cool, man. All right, Matt. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, th- th- thank you. Yeah. Where,
1: where can people follow you? Uh, s- uh, find your work.
2: I, I'm not really anywhere. I guess on Reddit, MIDI poet on Reddit, they could probably use their, you know you forward slash midi and message me but uh, i keep a pretty low profile in most places so. and
1: what is your current participation in, in the monero project are you are you actively working on anything uh
2: no i mean the, the uh, monero policy working group uh, we have a panel tomorrow tomorrow afternoon um i think we might try and kickstart that there's been some discussions and maybe trying to get some movement again we were very active a few years ago and then that kind of burnt a few of us out because it was a lot of work in a very short space of time. But yeah, it might be, it might be time to kind of kickstart it again and then try and try and get some critical mass of uh, participation and do something with it.
1: What type of help would you be looking for for that? If yeah. there's anybody in the community that would want to maybe be a part of the policy work group?
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that would be cool. I think we have a channel on IRC, so it's a hash Monero dash policy but we're always looking for people who who want to get involved in the conversation, help us draft blogs, help us draft reports, help us just think about how best to navigate the regulatory space and how best to kind of like, you know, either lobby or advocate for privacy-preserving tech uh, in the financial space or broader, really.
1: Awesome, yeah, so anybody that's interested, uh, try to get in touch with the people that are currently part of the Monero Policy Work Group and maybe you can help out. All right, man, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to monerotalk.live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cakewallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.